Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. You call things villages, correct? Am I getting that yeah, right? Yeah, we call or? it the village. The village. Yeah. And, and that bec- is because we want to be a community first and a company second. That's really important to how we operate. And so we think of ourselves as being a village, as being folks that are part of a community. And it's much bigger than what we're trying to do day to day in our jobs. It's how can we impact Denver and the communities that we operate in across the country. of Pop Health Podcast. This is Gavin Ward, co-host of Pop Health Podcast. In today's episode, I had the opportunity to do a day trip to Denver, Colorado, where I sat down with DaVita's group vice president, Martha Wofford. In today's episode, I learned that DaVita is not just a dialysis treatment company, but they're actually now being reimbursed to manage chronic kidney disease, which might include no dialysis at all. We hope you enjoy today's episode in which Martha shares about her journey from working for the White House to moving over to Aetna and then ultimately being motivated to move over to a provider's side. One neat thing you'll learn in today's episode is how mortality has decreased over the past few years due to the consolidation of the kidney care industry, including the growth of DaVita. We hope you enjoy today's episode and if you do, feel free to leave a review on iTunes. Thanks folks, enjoy the show. Martha, can you share something about yourself that might surprise the audience or even your colleagues? Sure. Uh, One of the strange things about me is that I spent a week in a war zone. Uh, I did presidential advance for President Clinton, and I was in Bosnia on Eagle Base for a week, uh, waiting his trip to visit the troops before Christmas. Wow. Did you hear or see anything interesting that you were able to share? Uh, it was it was pretty intense, actually. They had just picked up a couple of war criminals, and so we were in what they call full battle rattle, which means I had a helmet on and a Kevlar vest the whole week, which is actually really heavy, yeah. <laughs> as it turns out. Uh, and it was uh, they somebody had stepped on a landmine uh, on the base the week before, and so it was actually kind of scary at times. But what I was most impressed with was the speed with which our soldiers ate their lunch and meals. Yeah. We sat down and had like a pretty quick meal and three different shifts of of troops came through in that time period. So wow. it was pretty fun. That sounds pretty intense. Now the landmine you mentioned, that was on a US base? Yes. Oh wow. Yeah. So they Eagle got base someone in got through. Uh no, there's a lot of landmines all over. They've done a lot of work to remove them in Bosnia, okay. but it was just sort of left over and somebody stepped off of the path and stepped on one. So it's it's an intense place to be uh, in a war zone. We went on a trip to an orphanage with First Lady uh, Hillary Clinton, and we had this whole train of Humvees. It was very much in a caravan where we were being protected, and it just makes you really grateful for our troops and how much they do around the world and how proud it made me to be an American and to be having such a big impact across the country or across awesome. the world. Awesome. Thanks, Martha. My uh, my brothers are all military guys, and so that's a, that's a cool story. I got coined, too, by one of the divisions there. That was kind of fun. So You got what? Coined. You know, they give you a coin for their, oh. their group. Okay. Anyway. What does that mean? I don't know. It just means that they think that, uh, you know, you are providing some service that you're 
uh, I guess, a good person. So Okay, nice. Well, congrats. <laughs> Thank Very you. Good. So let's go back a little bit beyond that time. So uh, tell us about you, where you grew up, and uh, maybe your background, including your college. Okay. So I grew up outside of Boston, and for me, sports was my big thing. So I played a lot of team sports okay. through high school and college, uh, and um, I really, really loved being on teams. Um, and in college, I thought I would uh, go into law school afterwards. My dad's a lawyer. My mom's a teacher. And I sort of thought those were the professions that were out there. And then I found myself volunteering on a campaign and found myself on the way to D.C. right out of college. So backtracking, team sports, what do you play? Okay, I played uh, soccer, basketball, and lacrosse throughout college. Okay, nice. Uh, Lacrosse was my really big sport. Okay, awesome. Are you still a soccer fan or not really? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think what's so cool since I went to college is now that there are women professional sports. And so it's really neat to see women playing at these elite levels. Very good. We're actually recording in Colorado, DeVita, and uh, the MLS team here is the Colorado Rapids, and they had a very famous goalie named Tim Howard that I was sad to see. Part, he retired. Very good. So tell us, how do you pronounce your Swarthmore? Yes, Swarthmore College. Okay, where's that? Uh, It's outside of Philadelphia. Okay, awesome. So you started volunteering on this campaign. You ended up in D.C. Tell us about how you ended up in healthcare. Well, it was a long path till I got there. I spent six years in the Clinton administration. Uh, and what was amazing about that is I was a political appointee. And so I had the opportunity, really the privilege at a quite young age in my 20s to take on some pretty big leadership roles. Uh, so I got to run the day-to-day operations for a 45-person uh, team at the Environmental Protection Agency working on legislative affairs. And so at age 22, that's a pretty big job. Wow. Um, and uh, then went on to work on communications for the presidential and vice presidential debates in 96 uh, and got to work on climate change at the White House. And so I think I had these really big opportunities, but I also got kind of bored of being in D.C. and mm. everybody having sort of the same conversation all the time. Yeah. And so I decided I wanted to get out of Washington, and I went to school uh, at Kellogg to study management. Okay. Um, and so then I um, went from Kellogg, which I absolutely loved because, again, it was sort of a team-based uh, culture okay. and a lot of diversity uh, versus what I'd come from in D.C. where everybody was sort of doing the same thing and really focused on politics and policy. Uh, And so I went into consulting from Kellogg to sort of continue my business school education, if you will. Um, And from there, I did media consulting because it was sort of the closest to communications, which is what I'd done before. Um, And then there were some shifts in my firm. uh, And I ended up moving over to the healthcare team where there was a lot of growth and opportunity. Ah, okay. So you moved over to healthcare. And then I know after that, I believe you joined, and I may have skipped something here, uh, was Aetna next for you? or It was, yeah. Okay. I consulted, like many consultants, I consulted to um, a bunch of different payers and some uh, providers. And after consulting to Aetna, they actually lured me away to come help start up the Medicare Advantage and prescription drug plan business in 2005. Okay. So you're at Aetna for many years. And then uh, tell us about your eventual transition over here to DaVita. Yeah. So... Aetna was, again, I had this great opportunity to get shifted around the organization and take on really different roles, uh, which I loved. And um, I, at the end of my almost 10 years there, I got to work on digital platforms and trying to figure out how to make the patient experience better, which for us as an insurer, 
I sort of thought was sort of about getting out of the way. <laughs> uh, and I would go around saying how really convenience was the new quality. That's what really mattered to consumers. And I had a colleague who would say, named Lonnie Reisman, who's uh, kind of famous in the healthcare space, and he would say, you know, uh, convenience is great when you're well, but when you're sick, quality is quality. And so, you know, I sort of remembered that later on because I started to look around. We had some leadership shifts and I started to think about what else I wanted to do. Um, and I started talking to some folks on the provider side, including DeVita. But I really thought there was no way I would pick up my family from Massachusetts and move to Denver and, you know, come over to a dialysis company. At now we dealt with really broad commercial populations. And so it's a very different type of healthcare. But anyway, in this process or during this process, my sister, one of my sisters, unfortunately, got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And so I found myself with her at Johns Hopkins in the neuro ICU with some pretty, you know, scary, scary times. And right then I thought of Lonnie's words where quality is quality, because, you know, when it's your sister who's got, you know, needs brain surgery, being in some place like Johns Hopkins is the place you want to be and getting the best care in the world. And so my sister's doing great. Great. And <laughs> what yeah. came out of that was also my decision that I wanted to move over to the provider side okay. and be part of delivering great quality care. Okay. So you were in Massachusetts. Yep. And you mentioned family. So at that time, did you have to convince anybody else to come here with you? <laughs> I did. Okay. Tell us about that. Uh, I had to convince my husband. He worked at a prep school and uh, ran all of the annual fund and a whole bunch of the operations on the development side. And he loves that school. So for him, leaving was, was very hard. He had gone there. His uncles and brother and everybody had gone. Uh, and then I had a daughter, and I have a daughter now, uh, who the time was, uh, I think, seven years old. And so it felt like a lot to pick everybody up from, we had family all around, and then move to this place out in the sort of wild, wild west of <laughs> Colorado. Yeah. yeah. So may I ask for their first names? Sure. John is my husband, and Nora is my daughter. John and Nora, I hope you get a chance to listen to this. <laughs> a lot of kudos for going with mom out here. I know moving is a big deal. So I uh, just want to give them a quick shout out. Thank you for their Thank names. Thank you. That's very sweet. No problem. Okay. So what convinced you that DeVita could be a place where you can bring quality? Yes, I think being part of an organization that delivers the best quality care in dialysis is just amazing. And when you look at this patient population, they're incredibly vulnerable. Again, I talked about that broad commercial population. I think 23 million members was how many we supported when I was at Aetna. You come here to DeVita and it's about, you know, 200,000 really sick patients that need a ton of care. Very complex patients. Their care is highly fragmented in the system today. We really need to help them have a better experience. Very good. Well, we're going to learn more about DeVita and about how Martha is working on quality here at DeVita when we get back from the break. Folks, we'll be right back. Pop Health Podcast is a public service of 24-hour home care. All right, folks, we are back from the break. So we learned about Martha's move from Massachusetts to Colorado and a little bit about what the quality opportunity was. Uh, before we dig deeper into DeVita and its quality and current initiatives, uh, Martha, can you give us maybe just a broad overview of who DeVita is, maybe a little background on DeVita? Sure. Uh, so DeVita uh, actually acquired Total Renal, Renal Care about 20 years ago and then shortly afterwards renamed the company DeVita. Okay. Uh, and the, so that means we give life 
it was a democratic process. It was pretty exciting, I think, for folks who were here at the time. So literally the teammates, uh, am I saying that right? You're saying it in right. In the village? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, so the teammates named the company. They named the company. I don't think I've ever heard of that before. And there's good <laughs> video footage if yeah. you want to see it. But they basically, you know, had different names and the whole village voted and they picked DeVita and wow. created this new sort of name okay, from cool. scratch. Yeah. Nice. Also, um, yeah, DeVita's got some cool things besides just its name. I'm, we're here in uh, Denver uh, recording, great office space. You call things villages, uh, correct? Am I getting that yeah, right? Yeah, we call or? it the village. The village. Yeah. And, and that bec- is because we want to be a community first and a company second. That's really important to how we operate. And so we think of ourselves as being a village, as being folks that are part of a community. And it's much bigger than what we're trying to do day to day in our jobs. It's how can we impact Denver and the communities that we operate in across the country. Okay. And what communities do you operate in? Is it pretty much most of the United States? or It is most of the United States. Okay. Yeah. You will see a DaVita clinic. If you start looking for them across the country, you will start seeing them. There's a lot of places in strip malls and other um, office parks around the country where we have presence. We have 2,700 clinics, so we're really everywhere and a little over 200,000 patients. Wow, very good. 2,700 clinics. That's amazing. Now, when I think dialysis, um, I don't know a ton about it, but when I think of it, I think of DaVita. Are there others? I guess I'm sure you have some competition, but is there much competition out there? There is. Um, I think, you know, we are pretty big. So that is a legitimate um, perspective. And I think that's really different than most of healthcare. Uh, And it's been interesting when you think of consolidation. And I spent a bunch of years on the payer side. And so I think have a um, broad perspective of this. Uh, sometimes we worry that it can be bad for the system, but in the case of dialysis, it's been incredibly good for the system. And so we have been able to drive down really important metrics like mortality more than any other condition. And so over the, we measured this over 10 years from uh, 05 to 15, there was a 21% reduction in mortality across the dialysis industry. And if you compare that to another condition, CHF went down 1%, right? Okay. So just really important by, you know, improvements you can make by having that operational focus and efficiency and driving process at scale, you can really impact also on cost, which is something we all care about because healthcare is so expensive. We've been able to drive it down 12% over that same time period, whereas on the CHF side, it's been about 4%. So it's okay. just through through that operational intensity that we've been able to do at scale, we've really driven improvements for the system and for patients. Okay, good. Now, most of our audience is healthcare professionals. Many of them may know dialysis at a surface level. I'm one of those surface level, kind of have an idea of what it is. Would you mind briefly explaining what exactly is dialysis? Sure, I will do my best, and I am not a clinician, um, but basically when your kidneys fail, you need to replicate what your kidneys do, which is they remove fluid and they remove toxins from your blood. And so there's two basic ways to do dialysis. One is through a machine, so hemodialysis, where a little bit of your blood is taken out at a time and it's run through a filter. Uh, to pull out that fluid and those toxins. Okay. The other way is called peritoneal dialysis, where you use the peritoneum to, again, like that filter did, to filter out 
um, it's a membrane that can actually pull the toxins uh, and the fluid out okay. through the abdominal cavity. Okay. So two main ways, and um, you can do uh, both of those in an in-center setting or at home. Okay, tell us about the service at the home. How do people qualify for that? Is it only folks who are bed-bound? Talk about that. Um, most people in the United States treat in-center. It okay. is sort of the typical way that folks do. But what's really exciting is that increasingly patients are treating at home. And so DeVita is the biggest provider of home dialysis, and we've been growing really fast, um, four times what we're actually growing in-center. Okay. And that's exciting because... Somebody, so I get to lead patient experience and patient education for DeVita as well as our integrated care efforts with payers. Okay. Uh, and so when I think about the patient experience, for many patients, treating at home is really far better. You have a higher quality of life, more control over uh, how you spend your time. And so being able to support more patients treating at home is very exciting. And part of it is technology. We can do things like use remote monitoring scales and blood pressure to know how patients are doing at home. We now have telehealth capabilities so we can do a visit with a patient and see them and see how they're doing and their their actual uh, access so where they actually insert the, um, there's a catheter in your abdomen that okay. actually enables you to do the peritoneal dialysis and do that exchange. And so it's really important that that stay clean and that there not be any infection. That's a really big risk for um, patients who treat oh, yeah. at home. Uh, and so our ability to see that um, catheter, that the, the actual wound, is very powerful remotely. And it's a lot easier for patients to not have to come into the clinic yeah. to be seen. So it, it, I think it's the other thing that's exciting is that the incentive structure is also aligning to support home quite well. And there's a lot of focus from the government on it. I work a lot with commercial payers. They're really focused on it as well. So we have support. Uh, to do something that's also better for patients, which is great. Yeah, so I was gonna ask you, what is, without revealing numbers, what is more costly, to, to receive treatment at home or to go to a dialysis center? Yeah, so costly is probably a little bit complicated for okay. your average patient. So one of the unique things about end-stage renal disease, which is ESRD, which is the condition when your kidneys fail, yeah. is that you qualify for Medicare even if you're not yet 65. So it's one of the rare conditions, maybe the only one for which that's the case. And so you're on Medicare, you can go to any clinic and get treated uh, in the country. So that's sort of how it works in terms of the typical experience for a patient isn't that they're paying yeah. A lot for that treatment. Okay. So with the payers, so you're, you're commercial, meaning the, mostly the private insurers for the younger adult population typically, is that? Or do you also deal with commercial on the like Medicare Advantage side? That's right. Okay. Both. Okay. So you mentioned the commercial payers are excited about or very eager to do more stuff in the home, correct? Yes. If a patient, does, do, can a patient choose to receive dialysis in a clinic or at home, or is there certain criteria one has to meet? Yeah, so typically it's a decision between the patient and their nephrologist, their okay. kidney doctor, to decide what's the right uh, modality, as we call it, for them to treat. And we are trying to support nephrologists with more and more 
tools to feel comfortable with peritoneal dialysis because some of them were trained in it and some were not. And so there's a little bit of a gap. And so it's typically this decision between the two. And there are criteria, but a lot of it has to do with how much the patient wants to do it yeah. uh, and their willingness to do the exchange themselves. One of the things that I do on the patient education team is create videos of patients doing home so you can actually show it to other patients and they can see how easy it is. Okay. But it can be quite a bit to sort of sign up for if you're a patient. If you can go you go in center, people take care of you. If yeah. you go at home, you're taking care of yourself. And so you have to sort of be up for that. And there are certain health conditions that can exclude you from being able to do this. But a lot of it's okay. that sort of ability to take care of yourself or have a spouse help that yeah. really is important. Okay. Very good. Commercial side. Our audience is, a lot of them are, I would say, frontline I don't know if provider is the right word, but, you know, you might be case manager, physician, social worker. Some folks, when they hear the term commercial, may not even know, like, what that is necessarily. Can you explain what is the commercial side versus, like, the government side? Sure. Um, So the way the healthcare system works in the United States from an insurance perspective, which not everybody is familiar with, uh, is many people, about half of all people, get their insurance through their employer. Right. And those um, are commercial payers that provide that coverage. And there's all different kinds of plans within that big bucket of employer-sponsored insurance. And then on the government side, there's a couple big categories people are pretty familiar with probably, which is Medicare. Medicare also has, as you mentioned, Medicare Advantage. We think of that as being part of the commercially insured folks, but then Medicaid is the other big government program. And then there's some others, TRICARE you might be familiar with and some others. So so there's government programs and there's commercial programs. That's how most people get their health care. And then for end-stage renal disease patients, because they become eligible for Medicare, it's a little bit different. So you have many more patients within ESRD that are on government insurance than are typical in the healthcare system. So we, we talk about it as about nine patients out of 10 are uh, on government insurance for this you know, particular disease state. Oh, wow. Okay. Now, earlier you talked about value and integration with the plans. So a couple questions um, that I had just in preparation for this. What does value-based care mean for DaVita and how do you measure? You, you gave some stats earlier. How are you measuring value? Yeah, so we're super excited about value-based care. And as somebody uh, who spent a bunch of years in the healthcare world now, it is the direction I believe we need to go. And I think many of us believe that we need to shift to, but it's also hard to shift from a fee-for-service world to value. And so what we mean is that we receive financial incentives for keeping patients healthy uh, and driving down costs overall as opposed for doing individual treatments or procedures for patients. And so for us, it's exciting to drive to a place where we're really aligned with those commercial payers, where we're all trying to do the same thing to bring down costs. And what's exciting is if you avoid hospitalizations, that's much better for a patient right? Nobody wants to be in the hospital. That is more days at home. Yeah, It's also better, the way we do this is better for uh, providers, for doctors, because we're basically coordinating all that fragmented care that they are accountable for today, but don't have the right resources. So we step in and do a lot of that. Oh, cool. And then it's better for the system because we bring down costs. So it's really the place that we need to go. And so I think we're at this exciting time where the commercial payers are shifting towards value and actually so is the government. And so there's a lot of support uh, to get there. 
Nice. Now, I know a lot of the, at least my understanding is a lot of the patients that go to your uh, clinics or your one of your 2,700 sites, um, transportation is an issue for them. So how are folks who have transportation challenges, let's say 20 years ago compared to today, how are folks solving that challenge today versus 20 years ago? Yeah, the transportation is a challenge for patients with kidney disease. They have to go to the clinic if they're treating in center three times a week. And so it's a lot of um, travel. Some of them obviously drive or have their spouse drive them. There's also a lot of uh, transportation services that are provided in each state that many of our patients rely upon. And then for those patients who are commercially insured, a lot of the patients that my team supports, they actually have transportation benefits yes. in their Medicare Advantage plans. And so that's really helpful to then be able to coordinate with that. Um, but it's this combination of trying to figure out what that patient has available and then what are the local resources that we then use to, to support the patients to get to and from treatment. I know what, one of the things I've learned is a lot of these non-emergency um, medical transportation benefits seem to be growing. And I was curious if you've seen that. Sounds like you have a little bit, especially on the Medicare Advantage side. Um, so that's exciting. People can access the care either on site with that transportation or uh, get it at home, which is cool. Besides dialysis, does Davida do any other lines of business or is it strictly dialysis? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I wanted to say earlier is that the real challenge that I see today in the, the kidney space is that there's not enough what we think of as upstream care. There's not enough care for patients before their kidneys fail. It's called chronic kidney disease is the condition that then deteriorates to the point where you're, you have end-stage renal disease and your kidneys have failed. And so today, half of all patients uh, do what we call crash into dialysis, which mm. means they end up in the hospital being told, probably for the first time, that they have something wrong with their kidneys. At the uh. point their kidneys have failed and they're being uh, having a central venous catheter or CVC inserted into their neck, right, right in to their heart, okay. um, which is really, really dangerous. Um, and it's an incredibly upsetting whole process for a patient. If you can imagine going from your normal state overnight to the next day being told that your kidneys have failed and your life needs to change, it's very, very overwhelming and depressing for most patients. And so fundamentally the opportunity to change that experience and get ahead of people understanding that they have chronic kidney disease, getting under the care of a nephrologist, getting all the support to choose how they want to treat, getting that all set up before they actually lose their kidney function is really, really important. The ability to do preemptive transplants. I mean, there's ways that we can so improve the experience for patients and the outcomes. Uh, and so it's very exciting to be able to work with some payers who are forward-looking about how do we actually work on chronic kidney disease. Okay. And uh, as well as how do we optimize when a patient actually transitions and gets to end-stage renal disease. So that hospitalization reduction, we can do that both in, in chronic kidney disease and in ESRD, and we can really support patients in driving very different outcomes. Okay, so let me know if I got this correct. <laughs> I'm trying to summarize. So is DaVita and your team managing patients and being reimbursed for things besides dialysis treatments? Yes. I didn't really answer your question. Okay. Um, sorry. Okay. <laughs> um, we are. Uh, and so we are very focused great. on the renal space in general. And okay. so the way that we work on chronic kidney disease, that those stages that happen before end-stage renal disease is in two forms. One is patient education. And so 
I get to work on this and it's super exciting. We've educated 190,000 patients through our community, no cost to the patient education classes. And through that, people learn about diet and sort of what their kidneys do and how they can take better care of them uh, and slow that progression of disease, what kinds of different modalities are. So we really empower patients. So that's like one part that is super fulfilling for our teammates to go from treating patients in center and that have dialysis, but getting ahead of that and really helping yeah. people change their trajectory is really exciting and fulfilling for our teammates. So that's one way. Okay. The second thing is that we actually work with payers who say, please help my CKD population. And so here's a list of them and please go work with them to support them and make sure they get the right care ahead of time. And so when we do that, we're able to dramatically change those numbers. So we're able to get to where 70, almost 75% of patients that we support start in an outpatient setting. Right. Um, if they start, we're really trying to slow progression so they don't even start um, on dialysis, yeah. which is interesting and some people don't realize that we as a dialysis company are working so hard to prevent patients to get yeah. to the need uh, dialysis. And so it, it may seem counter, but when you start to manage from a value lens, it makes a ton of sense. And obviously it's the best thing for the patients as well as for the system. Absolutely, and I'm glad to hear that you guys can actually get, you know, probably when you first started doing this, you were doing it all for free, right? But now the plans are seeing the value and you can make this a sustainable way to make people healthy. That's what I'm taking from what you absolutely, shared. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's great. So it sounds like what's next for DeVita is more of that. Yes. Anything else we should know, let's say in the next few years, where's DeVita, again, besides the dialysis treatment, we see education happening, we see some preventative treatments that I'm sure will be growing. Anything else we should know? Yeah, maybe um, a couple things. One uh, area that I'm really focused on is how do we make sure that patients at our clinics feel really cared for. So we know they're getting great quality care, but my mother's had a lot of healthcare challenges. She's in her mid-80s. And when you go with a family member to a care setting, you can really tell if the teammates or the employees really are caring or not, right? You, it's very clear whether they're just doing their job or they really are going out of their way to make you feel cared for. And so we are working really hard to make sure that our patients, every time that we engage with them, really feel cared for and are in that caring experience. So that's so I talked about quality at the beginning. Yeah. Quality is really important. Someone is feeling cared for. Experience. And then um, I think if you then can align that with this holistic care that we can provide through these value-based contracts, because it lets us do all these wraparound services, and then that's within a structure where the incentives are aligned, to create this better for patients, better for doctors, better for the system. It's it's just very exciting about what you can do. And I think we're really at this transformational time in kidney care where all those stars are aligning, where we've got the technology and we've got the financial structure to be able to deliver this really great care. Awesome, Martha. Martha Wofford, Group Vice President here at DeVita has been our guest. Martha, it's been a pleasure. Anything else you want to share about DeVita before we head out? No, thank you so much, Gavin. Lots of fun. Yeah, lots of fun. appreciate your colleagues for uh, setting this up. And uh, folks, if you're in the Denver area and work in healthcare, it's a really cool space here in downtown. So if you do business with DeVita, uh, feel free to check it out. 
Very good. Well, Martha Wofford, again, has been our guest, folks. If you like today's episode and you want to leave a review, we would love for you to do that on iTunes. Otherwise, you can check out more episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or, of course, pophealthpodcast.com. Take care, guys.